When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're talking real money. Hey there, welcome to the Friday Q&A edition of Talking Real Money. I'm Don McDonald here to try and answer your questions for 20, 30 minutes on the podcast about money. Glad you could join us. And if you have questions, well, you can uh, get them answered several ways. You can call 855-935-TALK. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or you can call it live on Saturdays from 3 to 5 Eastern. The other option is to go to TalkingRealMoney.com, click on the contact button, and then you can either type a question up or you can speak it. And if you speak it, it's going to end up on the Friday Q&A session. So that's what this one's mainly for, those questions that were spoken at TalkingRealMoney.com. Dot com And now let us get to the very first spoken question of the day. I know it's after St. Patrick's Day, so never mind the terrible Irish reference. Moving on. Hello, Tom and Don. This is Robert from North Carolina. You both frequently talk about ETFs having a tax advantage by not making capital gains distributions. A year ago, I researched for an international large blend ETF, and picked DBEF, which showed up on Fidelity and Swab screens with passive management, low expenses and turnover, and a Morningstar five-star rating for three, five, and ten years. In December, it made a massive capital gain distribution. I wrote the managers for an explanation, but got none. My question, why would an ETF make such a distribution if not mandatory? DBEF continues to perform quite well. Thank you. We need to be more specific about capital gains on ETFs. We just sort of throw it out there that uh, capital gains distributions are rare for ETFs. So, And with the kind that we suggest, which are index or passive ones that don't change their portfolio very often, they're practically non-existent. However, they're not impossible. They do happen. They happen with managed ETFs, which, by the way, we never suggest. Um, and they might happen with an indexed product if the index changes. Then they have to sell a stock and buy another, and they could have a realized gain. But generally with ETFs, because they're able to just move money inside the ETF and not sell things to pay off investors who are liquidating, they avoid a lot of capital gains distributions. However, the fund that you are in is sort of actively managed. Okay, it's actively managed. Let's just say it. It is actively managed because what they're doing is they're trying to emulate the MSCI EAFE index, sort of, um, but they're not matching it. As a matter of fact, they, they overweight 
Japan. They underweight some things. They have no emerging. It's a you know seven hundred fund or seven hundred stock portfolio. But the other thing that makes it unique is that it's hedged. So there's another source of potential gains. They're trying to hedge. And so far, they've been successful at doing so, even though for an ETF, their fees are a little on the high side at 0.35. It's not terrible. Uh, the fund has performed well. However, having performed well in an active, because this is basically a hedge fund. It's an ETF that's a simple hedge fund. It's not a complex one, but there is some tweaking going on. So that tweaking could someday fail. No tweaking is foolproof. And what works often eventually doesn't work for whatever reason. So um, it's it's not really an index. That's why. That's why you got a capital gains distribution. And it's uh, I'm sorry they didn't tell you that. Uh, but uh, we should have we should have been more specific. Although, if we're more specific about everything, all the possibilities, we'll never get to anything because there are so many. Well, but in this case, maybe. Um, I hope that answers your question. Now let's take another one. Hello, Tom and Don. Quick question regarding the wash sale rule. Um, I currently have VWO, which is an emerging markets Vanguard ETF. And I would like to sell that and harvest some losses and then buy uh, the Avantis Emerging Markets Fund, which is AVEW. Um, I'm not sure if they are substantially identical. Uh, I'm trying to figure out if I'm violating the wash sale rule or not. It looks like there's 4,600 or 4,200 Stocks in the in VWO and about thirty two hundred or something like that in AVEW. So uh, appreciate the help and everything you guys do. Thank you. Okay, here's a qualifier: we are not tax advice providers, nor are we experts on what the IRS might do or has done in in the past. However, pouring over substantially identical is what the IRS says. When it comes to the wash sale rule, if the security purchased when you sell to take a tax loss is substantially identical, then you cannot take the loss. I I can see that these two funds are similar. I wouldn't even call them substantially similar. They certainly aren't substantially identical because they don't own the same stocks. They don't own them in the same percentages. There are some differences. Uh, Avantis has a different screening process. They screen out some stocks. Uh, so they're, they don't rigidly follow the index as does Vanguard. So I, in my humble opinion, do not believe that you are dealing with a substantially identical situation. So therefore, you should. See, we, we have to use wiggle words. You should be good to go. Can't guarantee it. Never can guarantee what the IRS might do, but... They'd sure have a difficult time establishing anything close to substantially identical between these two. Yeah, yeah, they're both emerging. Whoops, that's it. Oh, by the way, the symbol is A-V-E-M, A-V-E-M for the Avantis Emerging Markets. Now, we're going to take another question call thingy that came in through TalkingRealMoney.com. 
Hi, Bob and Tom. This is Charlie from Colorado Springs. My question's concerning having a re- mortgage in retirement. I keep hearing about prepaying your mortgage so you can be done with it. I'm a retired 69-year-old, and my wife is 66 years young and is who is currently still working full-time. We have the necessary funds available in our retirement account to prepay the $154,000 remaining on our 3.5% mortgage. My monthly pension check pays the mortgage payment in full. I'm also currently receiving Social Security. I created a spreadsheet calculating the amount of mortgage interest until the loan is paid off in September of 2028. The interest charges incurred for the remaining 65 months of the loan period is a little over $16,000. So if we prepay the loan today, we would save or avoid the $16,000 in interest charges. Where my hesitancy to prepay the loan comes from, as I calculated, I would need to withdraw $191,000 from the IRA to pay off the $154,000 mortgage balance plus Uncle Sam's share due to the IRA distribution. The distribution would be taxed in the 24% tax bracket or almost $37,000. Paying $37,000 in taxes today so we can avoid $16,000 of interest over five and a half years is my hang-up. Can't see a benefit for prepaying the loan. I also calculated if we left the $154,000 in the IRA until September 2028 and it only earned a 4% annual money market rate, the $154,000 would grow by $39,000 to a total of $193,000. So that $39,000 growth is more than double our $16,000 of interest charges incurred by paying off the loan on schedule. Am I missing something or do you agree I should just methodically pay off the mortgage and keep the $154,000 in the IRA. Thanks for taking my question. I enjoy listening to your podcast on daily walks. Thanks again. Bye. Yeah, uh, Bob here. <laughs> You're from Colorado Springs, and you call me Bob? Come on. I was on the radio in Colorado Springs. That's where I got started in radio. Did you ever listen to KVOR? Back in the 80s? That was me, Don. Anyway, uh <laughs> <laughs> we don't suggest people pay off their mortgages. I don't care. I we, we you know unless you've got a you know a seven or eight percent mortgage, why? Okay, maybe five or six, but again, why? You did the math. You're going to take a big tax hit, which reduces the money you have available to make you money in the future. That's not good. You will take out money that could grow at likely a much better rate, even with only investing for 100% safety. I mean, if you put it in CDs, you'd end up with even more than you calculated. So, no, from a financial, mathematical future standpoint no it makes no 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 sense whatsoever and we've said over and over again the only time it makes sense to pay off a mortgage with cash oh 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 i forgot the other thing illiquidity what if you need to get your hands on that hundred fifty-four thousand dollars in an emergency it's hard to take it out of your house it's easy to take it out of your ira so there's another one uh no we don't it's a lifestyle thing If it just makes you feel better to know that your roof is paid for, and we should always remember 
that no matter what, our roof is never completely paid for. Remember that? I mean, think of all the poor souls who um, thought they didn't have any more cost to their house. They paid off their mortgage and they live in an area where their property taxes have soared until they're paying almost as much in property taxes as they were paying in mortgage payments. And that's happened in some parts of the country. So there's always going to be an expense to living somewhere, paid off or not. But no, we, we've Tom and I have been pretty consistent on that. We think you can make more money on almost any mortgage than the rate on almost any mortgage. So I'd keep it in the IRA. Bob out. Now, we're going to go to our next question. <laughs> and I'm done, by the way. Don McDonald. Done. I recently took $2,000 and put it in a 11-month CD, higher interest CD. I think it was 5, 5.5% through a credit union. So, But I was curious as to why... They offer CDs that are 11 months versus a year. Um, is there a financial benefit to just 11 months? Is it a tax thing? Um, I'm just curious, and I didn't know who else to ask, so I asked you. Thank you. The only differentiator that I'm aware of are the penalties. Generally speaking, on a 12-month... See, we have to say generally all the time. Generally speaking, on a 12-month or longer CD, the penalty for early withdrawal is six months of interest. For less than a year, 11 months, the penalty is usually three months of interest. So an 11-month CD gives you more withdrawal flexibility. That's really it. Um, I Does it make much difference to you if you're going to leave it there? Not a bit. As a matter of fact, I believe in laddering. Put some in a in a maybe a six month so you have it available. Put some in a year. Put some in an eighteen. Put some in a two, etc. And then every time one comes due and you don't need the money, you just roll it back out to your longest maturity, your previously longest maturity. But no, that's the only difference I'm aware of is that the penalties are lower for maturities under twelve months. Twelve months and over, higher. Questions can be sent in or called in. Sent in to TalkingRealMoney.com. Called in to 855-935-TALK. 855-935-8255. You can also call our show that airs every Saturday live in Seattle, but you can call from anywhere. 855-935-8255. And we will talk one-on-one -on -one to you on the air on Saturdays from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific. If you have big questions, you have things that need some more consideration, we have and will continue to, for as long as Tom and I are around, offer anyone who asks help an hour, up to an hour or so. We will not manage your portfolio for free, but we will help you try to determine what you have in your portfolio, what you should have, first steps toward a plan for retirement, whatever it might be. We'll give you some time. We'll give it to you free, 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 no obligation whatsoever. And you're not going to get pressured to do anything. Promise. Cross my heart. Pinky swear. So uh, to do that, same thing. Just go to TalkingRealMoney.com and click on Meet an Advisor. Heck, you might even meet with Tom 
particularly on Saturdays. He does a lot of talking with, with listeners and just trying to help you get this right. Because we know that we're not the right advisory firm for everybody, but we also know that it's really hard to find the kind of more in-depth help you need once in a while. So we'll give it to you right now for nothing. Just go to TalkingRealMoney.com. I have to get out of here. Um, we're going to keep it a little shorter than usual this uh, this edition. Thank you for being there. Thank you for telling friends. Thank you for continuing to listen. And um, I'll be back soon talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.